Welcome to Boomeranging, from expat to repat, a podcast that explores the question, what could be so hard about returning home after years living overseas? I'm your host, Margot Anderson, and in each episode, I will sit down with a former Aussie expat to discuss how they survived repatriation and reverse culture shock, how they navigated the logistics of careers, friends, and family to successfully find their new place at home, and all without losing their global spirit. If you have just returned home, are thinking about it, or just love a good yarn told by professional globetrotters, then I have no doubt you'll enjoy meeting this diverse group of Australians. New York, New York. If you can make it here, they say you can make it anywhere. And Scott Cooper is living proof. Scott initially went to New York following his partner and her career. And while he was armed with a passion for digital marketing and a Melbourne client list, in New York, he knew no one and had to start again from scratch. Over his first nine months in the city that never sleeps, he hustled. Soon he was representing an off-Broadway play, a guitarist, and a number of small tech companies. This led him to a permanent role as managing editor of Waywire Networks, a video curation platform. Quite a turn of events for this former civil engineer. Starting again is not something Scott shies away from. In fact, I think he runs towards it. After New York, he established himself with an Australian tech startup in San Francisco. After San Fran, he returned to Melbourne to grow their Australian operations before starting again to help another tech company grow. Now, after a career of starting again and helping companies begin and grow their own journeys, he is the COO at Versus Merch, where they are taking on the world. I'm interested to hear how his experiences in New York and San Fran shaped his thinking and what advantages he thinks it brings to his new business today. So welcome, Scott. Thanks for having me. Yeah, where are we chatting with you today? Uh, So I'm actually out in Murrumbina near Chudston in Victoria, near the Versus Merch headquarters at the moment. Before we dive into your life overseas, can you share a little bit about what you were doing and what life looked like pre-New York? And I guess if there were any um, early seeds planted or early influences that shaped an international life? Yeah, so I guess my life was quite different before I moved away to New York. So I was, as you mentioned, uh, I was my primary job was as a civil engineer, but didn't like it. Didn't hadn't liked it for a long time. Um, okay. Grew up playing in bands. Really enjoyed the promotional side of things. Something I'll tell everyone is: if you can sell a band, you can sell anything. It's the, the hardest <laughs> sure. startup that you'll possibly ever have to build an audience for and sell something for. So, I really enjoyed that stuff. Really enjoyed the digital, digital marketing side of things as it was really starting to evolve from a really grassroots level. Facebook was barely a thing at that point. So it was ground floor for the digital marketing stuff. Learned all of that sort of stuff and gone, if I can do this for the band, I could do this for other people. And I enjoy doing this a hell of a lot more than I do the engineering side of things. So started building out my client lists. So had several startups and small businesses that I'd sort of started working, consulting for, doing bits and pieces for to sort of build up my, my skill base with the intention to flip to that being the full time, um, but it was still a bit of a balancing act between eight hours of civil engineering in a day, yeah, followed by many hours of digital marketing for others at night. So you you were sort of really embarking upon that sort of before you went went to New York. That was what you were doing here in Melbourne, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's correct. Yeah, I was kind of set, setting all that that foundation up so I could hopefully do that before I'd left, but 
it's uh, I rode it out uh, while I could. And so, did you ever think you'd end up overseas, or was that something that was quite out of the blue? Uh, look, I'd always wanted to try and go and particularly live in America. I think culturally, like I'm a massive basketball fan, um, and just being able to go and watch an NBA game on a regular basis was something I'm like, oh, I'd just die to do that sort of thing. And just being the culture and everything sort of around that, I think it fits my ideals and the way that I operate a lot more than probably a traditional Australian culture. So I've always been open to it. And um, yeah, like the, the right opportunity arose for us at the time. So yeah, jumped straight in and sort of didn't hesitate on it. So you land in New York and and as we heard, you know, you hustled and yes, you had some great foundations in trying to build that up here. But I'm interested in how you actually went from civil engineer in downtown Melbourne to going, okay, I'm now going looking for digital clients on the pavements of New York. <laughs> yeah, so it was kind of a I told myself, look, once I finish the engineering stuff in Australia, that's it. Okay. Like that that that's my hard cutoff. Um, I know I can do all the other things. I've got a client base here. I could be living off it here, but I've kind of got my safety net. Let's remove the safety net and let's just go. Um, I did a heap of groundwork before I went over around just trying to get involved with groups and talk to as many people as I could online for sort of the three or four months leading up. And then as soon as I hit the ground over there, it's pretty much executing on that. Like, who can I meet? Who can I talk to? Who do I know? Who can connect me to someone? And just yeah. any, anyone who would listen to me, I would catch up for a coffee with and, and talk at and say, hey, I'm trying to do anything. Give me, give me a chance on something. Getting out to meetups. So I'd probably go to meetups three, four nights a week um, just to interact with some people, find out what's going on, get some work and yeah. sort of built up a, a client base from there. Yeah, and I think sometimes when you land in a new place, it, I mean, not only is it a chance to reinvent yourself, but it's it's just a chance to go and really, I guess, meet new people, really absorb things from the ground up. And I think often we give ourselves permission earlier, don't you think, to do that when we're overseas rather than here? Yeah, I think so. And uh, like the culture is a lot different over there as well, I think. Um, over here, like I tried to do the, the ditching of the engineering earlier here and the amount of people I spoke to, that was fine while I was doing consulting and things like that with startups because they get it. Um, but trying to step into a full-time role here, people are like, well, but you're an engineer. Why would we want you to do our marketing? Where over there, uh, the attitude is, oh, you're trying this really cool new thing and you're clearly good at it. Let's give you a shot. Let's, let's see if you can do this. We want to help you do this. So it's a completely different attitude. Yeah, and I think it's funny, you know, I remember when I was in London, people had, you know, being asked to do things and people would say, well, can you do it? And you'd be like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the amount of jobs that I took that I had no idea how to do uh, and figured it out on the fly, it's, uh, <laughs> yeah. you got to do it. <laughs> yeah. So the hustling leads you to your next big role, which was managing editor and head of content curation, where you ended up leading a team, I think, of 80 curators um, for a video curation platform. I mean, that is quite a leap. Can you talk to us a little bit about what that looked like? Yeah, so it was a very interesting startup. The, the company was owned by Corey Booker, who was a senator in New Jersey and ran for president. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. The CEO was one of the original MTV employees when they first started. So it was a very unique mix of personalities and types, and they had this tech that would allow you to chop up some bits and pieces. I came in as, a, I guess, our marketing support type person but 
obviously I've got a lot of experience in building business from an engineering standpoint and building up my own stuff. And it was very quickly recognized that, hang on, I probably should be up a lot further up the chain than that and jumped up pretty quickly in that and sort of took charge of that. And yeah, we built out that team. When I started, there was about six or seven of us and we built it out to about 20 or 30 by the time I, I finished up with those guys. But yeah, we had stuff that was getting published. It was like on the New York Times website daily sort of thing. We would have our curators featured. So it was a exciting new thing to do in a very strange and demanding environment where we would yeah. be borderline running out of money every month and doing all the, the investment jump around. So it was a thrown in the deep end. Yeah, and it must have been a bit of a pinch yourself moment because if you kind of go, hang on a minute, 12 months ago, <laughs> I was in Melbourne and I was, you know, going down a career path of X, Y, Z and now I'm here. I mean, it's, you know, it's black and white, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it was wild. And as you mentioned, like I had the com- the weird combination of things that I was doing where while I was doing that, I still had all of these other clients on the side as well. And yeah. so you're, you're sort of running around New York to, I'm at Carnegie Hall, then I'm on Broadway and then I'm in Madison Square Garden. And yeah. it's, uh, it was just uh, absolutely surreal <laughs> experience. And like it's, you, you kind of don't appreciate it as much while you're running around. But every now and then you're like, oh, yeah, I walk past the Empire State Building every morning. That's weird. <laughs> I know. It is. It's, it's amazing. I used to drive to work in London and I'd drive past Big Ben every day and I used to think, Oh my gosh, this is amazing. You know, like, you know, you just do catch yourself sometimes going, I didn't think I'd end up here. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So during this time, I mean, you know, you mentioned that you held a number of kind of roles and side hustles, et cetera. And one of those um, saw you um, working as a sports writer where you were a team correspondent for one of the NBA teams. I mean, that must have been an amazing opportunity to get under the skin of another element of US culture. And as I said, you sort of said earlier, to feed a little bit of, you know, another passion of yours, which was basketball. What did that expose you to in terms of American life? Yeah, it was insane. Like it's uh, like I thought if I could go over and I could go to a game every week as a as a fan sitting in the back of the stands, that would be amazing. And then, yeah, I ended up, you know, I was an Australian guy who lived over there um, when I moved over I met up for a coffee with him someone introduced him we got along really well he was a writer looking after the Knicks and the Nets mainly in New York helped him out with a few bits and pieces and sort of said look if you need support on video photography writing whatever I'll help you out with whatever when I moved to California I was like oh, I guess I can't help you and he turned around and said well no nah, you just be the west coast correspondent let's just get you your own media <laughs> pass and the Warriors are now your team so you're looking Amazing. after the Warriors for us. So I did a four-year run with the Golden State Warriors where we won three championships in, in that time. And, yeah, it was a, a wild ride. Like it's, I guess, you see these guys on TV and I guess these organisations are such massive, powerful things. And then all of a sudden you're in the middle of it and you realise they operate the same as any other business and it's a bit of a scramble and it's, it's, it's not as glamorous as it all appears and the guys just bust their ass every day and everyone's like oh they get paid hundreds of millions of dollars and like you, you see them earn it and the stuff that they go through on a daily basis and the culture thing definitely is a whole other thing like just being absorbed in that culture every second night for four years is just uh it was awesome and i really do miss being sort of around that culture but it's just such a shift from anything you experience in australia 
Yeah, it's almost like how can you, you know, you can't replicate it, but like it's almost like well, what would be something that would fulfil you as much? Like it would be hard to find that, you know. Um, yeah. yeah. Just such a unique opportunity. So after 18 months or so in New York, you moved to San Fran where you joined an Aussie tech startup. Can you share a little bit about Go One? Um, because it's one of Australia's really quite successful stories. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I'd met a couple of the guys in previous time back in Australia many years prior as they were sort of they were sort of fumbling their way. It wasn't called Go One at that point. It was called Ajuro, trying to figure out what their thing was and how they were going to do it and whatnot. When I moved to San Francisco, I finished up at Waywire. That was going to be too hard to try and do remotely with the type of work that it was happening there. And thought, ah, oh, San Francisco, I'll find something. Done it in New York. I could do it over yeah. there. That'd be fine. <laughs> yeah. So um, went down there um, and ended up catching up with Andrew, the CEO. They were in the final few days of coming out of Y Combinator at the time. He knew a fair bit about my background because we'd obviously kept in touch a little bit over the years. And he, and he was sort of, what, what are you up to now? I'm like, wow, well, just, just moved down here. And he's like, wow, well, we need you. So um, do you want to come and work for us? And that was done <laughs> at that point. So joined them as head of, head of marketing for, for Go One at that point. And they all jumped on their plane and went back to Australia. And they sort of said, look, you, you're, you're here. You know what you're doing. Do your thing. Build it up. You know how to set up a business. Let's get it ticking over here. And left me to it. <laughs> so Yeah, great. Um, so at that point, I think we were about 14, maybe 15 employees globally. So yeah, started building out the US team and, and growing the team to obviously a lot of people know who Go One are now. Yeah. Yeah. And just tell us a little bit about um, the company, just so people know, have a bit of a background, a bit of context. Yep. So Go One's an online learning platform. So they have hundreds of thousands of courses from different course providers all over the world, all in one package. So it's kind of like the Netflix, but for learning. Yeah, great, great. And can you share um, with us a little bit about the San Fran sort of tech startup community and landscape and I guess how the business kind of was fostered by that culture and ecosystem? Yeah, it's a, San Francisco is a crazy place to live if you work in tech. Uh, there's always a lot going on. Everyone's always looking to get a leg up on something, but in a way where they're, everyone is sharing very openly what they're doing and trying to help each other. Uh, it's a really positive environment to be in, uh, but it's very intense, uh, I would say. Um, you can make a lot of good connections very quickly. You can network very easily. You can grow something very fast and find some really good partnerships and ways to grow quickly there. Growing a, a business like Go One, I could jump in and meet a lot of people quite quickly and get the value of that and bring on board some larger scale partners. Uh, which we managed to do in California that were in the ecosystem that would allow us to grow and partner with some of our other companies. So one of the first things I did was how do we build up our, our reputation locally? Made quite close friends with someone who's one of the heads of learning at LinkedIn. Um, so we decided between the two of us, we would run a learning meetup. So we went from nothing to 800 members in this meetup group within the space of a few months. And we were then aligned with LinkedIn at that point. So it made it a lot easier to sort of infiltrate the community and have people know who we were and who I was and I could speak at things and sort of get our brand out there subtly through being involved with that. Did you feel like you're at the centre of things there? It does feel like it's crazy, but people know that they can beta test everything in San Francisco and people are not going to get annoyed. They're used to it. They they understand. it's So everything is 
you are constantly being tested on. No matter what, whatever app on your phone, whatever you're on on your laptop, you're being tested on all the time. So it's a uh, and then everyone you're talking to, like people are just solving such unique and cool things that you would never expect that just people outside of the city have no idea are even happening. Yeah, incredible. I mean, it must just spark curiosity at another level, like, you know, just about what's happening and what's going on and what's possible, I guess, you know. Yeah, it really drives you and inspires you to try and do more. How did life compare to from San Fran to New York? They're both very busy. They're both a lot going on in very different types of ways. San Francisco is very, oh, I don't know, it's very, it's very online, I guess, and very digital. New York is still very face-to-face. Um, people want to meet you. People want to see you. They, they want to physically have things happening. Living-wise, I, I got so used to just you jump on the subway, you'd be anywhere in half an hour, worst case sort of thing. And then going to San Francisco, I'm like, oh, now I've got to actually jump in Ubers all the time and things like that. So it's not too bad. Um, you do, like New York is, I find New York is hard to get out of as well. Yeah. Like getting to the airport's a pain in the ass. It's, it's a nightmare. So you just don't leave Manhattan for the most part. But while you're there, it's you don't do that. We're in San Francisco. I feel like I was on a plane every few weeks because it's so easy to jump to Portland or Seattle or Palm Springs or Vegas or you just jump around a bit more. So, yeah, different sort of lifestyle but similar intensity. So you returned to Australia with Go One. Was the decision to come home driven by the opportunity to come home and, I guess, grow things here or were there other motivating factors in you wanting to return? Yeah, it's probably a bit of a combination of both. I was flying back quite frequently for larger scale meetings at at the time. So I was on planes a lot um, internationally between the two countries, which is quite demanding on your your body physically and mentally. But I'd also been over there for a long time. Yeah, how long were you there? Uh, It was about about five years total. So just under five years total. Um, Yeah, yeah, there's there's some changes in my living situation. Um, So it was uh, like I'd been away a long time and it was like a... felt like the right time to come back for a bit and I was kind of doing a half and half sort of thing for a long time where I was half in Melbourne, half in San Francisco, going back and forth a lot and I didn't mind that too much. Um, So I did that for a while sort of up until, I don't know, three months pre-pandemic sort of thing on that and was doing that that jump back and forth a lot but then sort of as things were escalating way more in Australia, it was so much easier for me to be in Australia and just jump around and do some things. And if I've got to duck off overseas, I just do a, a round trip and go and drop into all the things I need to do. So after building out the Australian operations here with Go One, you make the move to another early phase startup. Having helped businesses through these stages or these early stages of establishing and high growth in both the US and in Australia, I'm interested in what you see as the main differences between how each country approaches it. In the US, Things are a lot more structured from an early stage. I think people have a, a much more defined idea of a blueprint as to how they're going to roll things out. In Australia, it's more it's a more cautious approach. It's a, a lot of the people who are doing startups in Australia generally come from a corporate background, I'd say, and are used to playing a very safe way of growing and, and escalating things. And, and not quite, I guess, in, in that safe manner maybe not structuring as adventurously as they they probably need to in the early phases 
um, only looking at sort of the immediate on that. So I guess one of the one of the key things in all of the things that I've sort of helped grow was it's coming in and there's a heap of people working on really awesome things, but not necessarily in the most structured way for growth. So they're kind of just doing what they need to do to make it happen as quickly as they can. Um, but if you add another team member, it's a nightmare to try and get them scaled. That's not really structured yeah. in a way for growth. Do you think people are playing it safe? For the most part, I think so. I guess like VC funding is only like it's not new in Australia, but it's in, I'd say it's in its infancy and it's not the same as it is in the US, mm. for example. Mm. It is a lot of investment banking type backed VC funding as opposed to people who have built their own startups and really get how it needs to evolve and get running at a burn rate and, and whatnot to, to have that growth. Yeah, interesting. And I think we hear a lot about, I guess, the um, culture of failure and I guess how that's more openly embraced in the US than it is here. I mean, we hear about the tall poppy syndrome here, but also that reticence to, I guess, take that added risk. Is that something that you see as being really stark and obvious between the two countries? Yeah, look, I think it's uh, like you see it with all the US companies all the time. It's like fail fast, learn, yeah, move on. Um, yeah. I think out here we probably hold on to things for a bit longer and try to make them work. It's less ruthless around, okay, that doesn't work, drop it, next thing type mentality. So I think companies are starting to embrace that more, but I think it's it's still, it's kind of built into the, the DNA a little bit and that, and again, it's that, that sort of corporate thinking coming through as a, we haven't run this full life cycle of this thing we want to try and do yet. Let's push it a bit more first. So how did you go with the sort of the second business? I mean, obviously you came back with Go One, so you you knew the culture there and I guess the boundaries and the appetite for risk. What about the second company? Was that different or did they have a similar appetite? Had they been exposed to the US as well or is that something you had to ride? Yeah, not not as much. So mm. I guess those ones, when, when I left Go One, it was more, it was, I kind of got to the point where it was built up. It was a machine. It's just feeding in the information. One end comes out the other. And I, I like the, the battle. So yeah. <laughs> um, I actually had a chat with um, some of the some of the investors at Go One found out that I was going to go and do another thing and I hadn't decided what it was going to be yet. And they sort of said, hey, here's, here's some companies that are on our list. We would like to keep you within our, our portfolio. And Drawboard was one of those companies. And I had a chat with them and they've got a really awesome product. Uh, they've got themselves into a, an incredible situation just by having this really good base product, but not much really built around that from the team standpoint at this point. They've got sort of the engineers they need to make it happen. So they really needed, I, I guess I came in as a, I came in without a title with the intention that I would have a look, we would figure out where I was going to be able to add the most value and then we work it out with from there. And that very quickly ended up being as a COO over at Drawboard. Um, and, and that was a, the exact situation of, got a heap of incredibly talented people building these really cool tools, but just not everyone working in silos, no one communicating well and not in a scalable manner where we could actually grow the team and prepare them for a fundraise as well that, that was, was going to happen late this year. So, yeah. Just just so um, listeners understand, what's, what's Drawboard? So Drawboard is PDF markup software. Uh, right primarily for windows devices but i believe this week they've actually just launched the ios version which is really exciting for them so they have 
millions of users pre-installed on Microsoft Surface devices for a few years. So they're top of the Microsoft store. They're absolutely killing it and really good team, really, really amazing people. And it's a shame that most people in Australia don't know who they are because they are doing incredible things. So you've certainly um, seen a couple of really like innovative products and I guess industries, and now you find yourself in the world of merchandise with Versus Merch. So can you tell us a little bit about them? Yeah, so uh, it's actually my best mate <laughs> actually founded Versus Merch back back when I was an engineer and we were doing bands uh, about 10, okay. 10 years ago. He was working at Energy Australia and had the same realizations that I had when I was an engineer and didn't want to do this, wasn't for him. Um, very talented illustrator. So he started um, doing custom graphics for several businesses and bands and things like that. Um, very quickly realized that everyone who wanted something drawn up wanted it printed on something. Uh, so then spun that into uh, design plus printing onto whatever you need your things printed on. Uh, he kind of ran that by himself for many years, um, for four or five years. And then he ended up hitting me up and going, hey, I know how to do this thing, but I don't know how to do the business thing. Um, yeah. Can you help out and sort of we'll figure out whatever it happens to be? The arrangement is uh, sort of an advisory type thing, sort of a silent partner but for the moment at that point. And we sort of kept doing that. Um, we started to add a couple of people to that team with the intention, I think at the, about that point um, was about when I was finishing up with Go One. We weren't at the point where I could jump in at that that stage um there probably wasn't enough ticking along at that point and i could kind of manage it outside of doing a another full-time job with the intention that i would then go i would go help the drawboard guys get to where they needed to be to do what they needed to do for their next steps uh, mm-hmm. and, and at that point then i would jump across and full-time step into the versus role yeah so we got to that so where are you at i guess in terms of startup life cycle and what are your growth ambitions for the immediate future yeah, so at Versus, we've got a massive, diverse range of businesses that we work with um, and what we're doing here. Um, where we've actually just done a small fundraise with Tractor Ventures out of Melbourne, mm-hmm. um, some, some revenue-based funding there, which is pretty exciting. Um, that's allowing us to grow a bit more rapidly. Uh, a lot of what we do is conferences, events, uh, giveaways for people who are doing public-facing things, hospitality, um, as well as business side of things. So that obviously slowed down a little bit during the pandemic. However, it's drastically ramping up at the moment. So we're we're growing at a, a rapid pace at the moment. The teams, I think we're up to, I think we're up to like fifteen people over here now. So it's a we've got a, a really good team, really good systems in place for for growth, and we're just trying to work with businesses to help them do cool stuff essentially yeah, so fantastic. anyone who needs anything printed is we want to talk to um, any partners who have networks we want to talk to let us help you we save money for people we can make you look nice yeah fantastic and we will put links to the business on the show notes so people can um, can certainly find some more details there i understand you know you know you're playing globally with this business too i think people have just landed in canada with you is that right yep Yep. So we do have a setup. We actually have had a setup for the last few years in California. So we have some mm-hmm. partners over there um, who do printing for our US-based clients. Um, we're just setting up Vancouver at the moment. So we have uh, two team members who have just relocated to Vancouver to sort of lead the operations and drive the growth over on that side of the world. 
Um, we do have some plans for expansion throughout Asia. We have several partners over there at the moment, several businesses that we're working with. So it's an easy stepping stone. So it's just setting up the team in each of those locations and building them out. Yeah, fantastic. And so where do you manufacture and distribute from? So it's actually locally for depending on who the customer is. So if you're Australian-based, we have partners in Australia. We do all source products from here. We get them printed locally. We get them distributed locally. US, same thing. So same partners, all high-quality stuff. We partner with AS Color, all of our garments. So you know you're getting high-quality stuff. We have print teams over there. We have everything set up in each region of the world. So everything can get done locally. So we're trying to be more sustainable. It's an option for companies who don't want to increase their carbon footprint. They want to get stuff sourced locally. We can do it on a faster turnaround because of that and save some money as well. Coming back to Australia, did you always know that you would be involved building something that you were more heavily invested in? Was that an ambition or what was the trigger? Was it because it was your mate? Uh, it definitely was. So like, I guess I've had several businesses that I've tried to get up myself and I've sort of got to a point that I guess hasn't been monetized the way I, I would hope it would moving forward or hasn't got the growth or that sector's not not panned out. Um, so I've kind of been on the lookout for a business partner slash co-founder person for probably the last eight years, really, and just haven't found the right person who have clicked the right way. And it's just Evan and myself, we just, we think the same way, but we have very different skill sets in how to apply that. And we just complement each other very well in so many ways. And we've got now, I think we've got four or five businesses at the moment that are currently active that we're growing together and have several more that will get rolled okay. out in, in the, the next 12 to 24 months. So this is, versus is the, the flagship at the moment. Um, but yeah, several more. I'm actually- sitting, what, what do they look like? Uh, this is going to sound crazy. It's a wide mix. Um, yeah, so yeah. We, we have a, a cafe, which was purely to fund our caffeine addiction as a starting point, but <laughs> is now a cafe that's, that's open to the public down here. We have Emerald City Neon, which is- Neon signage, shopfront signage, light boxes, anything that you want to do signage-wise that has a light in it is us. Reanimated guitars, so guitar repair and and service. And then all, at the, the studio, we also have a photography set up for photographers in the studio, um, tattoo studio set up upstairs as well. Evan's brother's <laughs> a tattoo artist, so we set up a space up there for him to operate out of too. So a bit of everything, all the things we like. Yeah, I love I love the uh, I, I love the diversity, but obviously wherever there's an opportunity, you spot it. You go, okay, how do we make this work? So yeah, it's great. So how has the expat experience shaped your perspective on setting up businesses in Australia? Is it just made you go, okay, it's just there, it's the playing field, it's open open slather, or yeah, it is a little bit. It's uh, I, I guess we're both wide the same way around. Uh, try, fail fast, um, learn learn from it. We're lucky we haven't had much fail fast situations yet where stuff is, has peaked along pretty nicely. Um, but it, it's just jump, not being said, jump in, try stuff, network like hell, try and meet some people, build some things out and go from there. So it's definitely taught me that um, you can build something pretty quickly and there is a lot of opportunity here because people aren't doing that anywhere near as much as they are in, say, California. Yeah, yeah. How vital are networks to what you do? Oh, absolutely critical. And it should be for any startup, no matter what you're doing. A partnership is worth a thousand customers if you can get it right. I'm a huge believer in partnerships and it's such a 
much more sustainable way to grow than to try and sign up 200 individual customers who will spend $500, sign up a partner that has a network, share the, the revenue with them. Let's grow together. Let's do something cool together and really build that out. Well, it takes the heavy lifting away too, doesn't it? And, it does. You know, it it hopefully injects a bit more fun into what you're doing. Yes, yeah, streamlines all your processes. So what's your advice for expats coming home in how they should leverage their international experience, particularly when considering going out on their own? Probably try and surround yourself with people who are like-minded in how they're growing. Leverage them, get, get some experience from them, talk to them regularly. I talk regularly with several people who, are, who have bounced around and done bits and pieces and just, hey, we're trying this. What do you think? Hey, what do you think of this as a as a, a strategy? Just bounce ideas around. Ask for help. Don't fall back into the, the way of, oh, no, I need to do it by myself. I can't share any of the things. Bring back that culture of asking, sharing information. Let people in. Let them help you. Yeah, I think that's great advice, whether you're doing something on your own or whether or not you're navigating the market here. You do have to let people in, you know, um, and you have to ask. It's so true. So many expats who have worked in fast-paced startup environments in the US and Asia struggle to have their experience understood here by the local recruitment market. Often I um, I recommend they target companies where former expats are in senior hiring positions because they'll at least understand. They understand the journey and the nuances. What's your view of hiring expats who've arrived back in Australia? I'm a big fan of it. Um, I think anyone who has worked and lived overseas, even though it might not feel like it, has a more diverse skill set and ability to adapt and move faster than someone who may have spent their whole career in Australia in a safe space type situation. Uh, if you're thrown in the deep end internationally, you've kind of got to figure it out and move fast. And especially if you're working with other international businesses and you've got to navigate time zones, currencies, languages, all these type of things you really need. It's not, not just doing your job, it's doing your job in multiple spaces at the same time. I've loved our conversation. I feel like we could chat on for quite a lot more, actually. It's so interesting what you're doing. We might have to do a bit of a um, loop back around, like, where are they now in the future? Because I, I think a lot of us will be really watching with interest as to how Versus Merch goes, along with some of the other businesses that you've talked about. But we do close all of our podcasts with five quick questions. So I'd love to put those to you now. Living overseas taught me what about myself? If I could make it in New York, I can make it anywhere. Absolutely. The number one skill I use today in my business is? Oh, it's probably being resilient or being able to find a solution pretty quickly to a complex problem. Um, the best thing I have discovered since arriving home is? Uh, it's nice being back around friends and family again after so long being away. Yeah. And the first thing I'd encourage a new repat to do is? Talk to as many people as you can and try new things. Don't fall back into typical corporate job. Push yourself. Yeah, great. And a word, song or quote that best describes my time overseas is? Oh, yeah. I've got a lot of songs, but I don't know if your audience will appreciate them because we come from a, a ah. hardcore background. <laughs> <laughs> Well, maybe we'll go with a word or a quote then. <laughs> uh, what, what's what's the Yoda one? There is there is no try, just do something along those lines. Yeah, that's nice. A, that's not a bad one. Just get out there and try it. Just get in there. 
Yeah, yeah, love it, love it. Uh, Scott, I've really, really loved our chat and I thank you for your time. Yeah, thanks for having me. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review, share it with your friends and family and subscribe for future episodes. For more information on our guests, please head to our website, insyncnetworkgroup.com, where you can check out the show notes and also find more information about our fabulous community and membership offerings.